Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I have a friend who every single day um, right now sends me exactly that, a virtual hug, a little a little text message saying, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you today. Um, and I think those kinds of things that just stay in touch, sit with a woman who is alone in church. I found it very difficult to go to worship with my two girls without my husband there. Um, I felt very awkward and so be willing to sit with her. That is Susan Thompson sharing with Pastor Paul today about a recent tragedy experienced in her family and where she is finding hope. You're listening to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. All we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. The purpose of Life Support is to help others know how to come alongside those who are hurting and suffering. And hosted by Paul Johnson, lead pastor of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. In this series, Pastor Paul hosts conversations with survivors. No stranger to personal tragedy himself, Paul lost his first wife to cancer and then experienced the homicide of his 21-year-old son, giving him a unique perspective and empathy as he conducts these conversations. Here is Pastor Paul Johnson. So glad to have you with us and an opportunity to talk with a colleague, a friend, uh, staff member at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, and her name is Susan Thompson. We call her Susie. Susie, thanks so much for being here today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here in this context. We've worked together for a long time now, and uh, we've shared a lot of things, so it's so great to have you with us. And I know that you have a story that's hard to tell, and I appreciate you having the courage to be here one of the things we want to do on life support is to tell stories to help others find a deep relationship with Christ and to learn how to walk with others through trauma. And you have stories that you can tell that will help a lot of people. Let's begin, if you don't mind, uh, recently, because you've just gone through a really horrific experience. You've lost your daughter. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. It is hard. And, um, as Pastor Paul often says to me, now I've been around a long time, so I have a lot of stories to tell. But most recently, uh, back on January 29th, we received a phone call that morning, a phone call I never expected to have to take. And the person on the other end of the line said to me, Sarah has died. I was totally shocked, uh, totally overwhelmed. Um, totally knocked off my feet by that phone call. It um, has changed everything in our lives. Sarah was my 44-year-old adult daughter. Uh, she had struggled with many things over the years, but in the last two and a half years, uh, she had found sobriety. She had found a renewed relationship with Christ. She was passionate about living for Jesus and uh, we had great hopes for her at that point that her life going forward would be much different. So to find out that she had died um, was really beyond anything we could even imagine. I'm so sorry. And, you know, we're in a club where 
I've gotten phone calls like that too, and it's 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 a horrific experience. And I'd like to spend time uh, next time together and talk more about that journey because that really is only part of your journey. That's it's a painful right. part of it, but you have been through so much, and here you are still talking about Jesus and still committed to Him. If you could take us back to when you were uh, newly married and you had high hopes and everything kind of went wrong. Would you mind just talking about that a little bit and maybe describe how God nurtured you through that time? Mm-hmm. I married when I was 19 years old, married a football player, a very handsome young man who I believed was a follower of Jesus. He seemed to be very committed to Christ. Uh, we married when when I was 19. We were married for almost 18 years. But over the course of our marriage, in spite of the fact that he participated in a lot of church activities, was a Sunday school superintendent, uh, taught in a Christian school, kind of did all of the the right things. In spite of that, uh, he chose to have a series of affairs with other women. And uh, over the course of the years, there was a lot of hurt, a lot of resentment that built up. And ultimately, uh, close to the time we would be married 18 years, he decided to leave the girls and me for another woman, moved in with another woman and her two children, and, uh, and left us. We were really abandoned by him. Um, we had gone through some marriage counseling. We had talked with our pastor at that time. And... I, I asked others to pray that my marriage would be restored because to be divorced uh, was something I had never imagined to occur in my lifetime. He um, he refused to go any further with the counseling. And uh, as we spoke with our pastor one last time, the pastor said to him, are you willing to live with the consequences of your sin? And he said, yes, I am. And that was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, he moved out, moved in with the woman and her two daughters. He and I had two daughters. And so um, a terribly painful experience mm. for both the girls and for myself. It was a time of great loss because as a result of that, we also lost our home. Uh, I went through a bankruptcy experience. And um, it was a time where I really felt in my life that perhaps um, God was just done with me, that I had no future in terms of being able to serve in the in the kingdom. And up to that point, I had been very active in a number of ministries, teaching Sunday school and those kinds of things. And it really felt like I had been abandoned both by God and by my husband. Well, I can imagine, because here on one side, he's saying, I'm a Christian, I'm living for God, I'm involved with my church. And then on this side over here, he's cheating on you, how how did you reconcile that, or how long did it take you, or what was that journey like? I really couldn't uh, reconcile that. It did take a long time. It took a long time for me to be able to walk in a place of forgiveness. It took a long time for me to be able to see that God still had hope and a future for me and for my family. And uh, a lot of the healing that I received actually came from a woman in our church who was a Stephen minister. Mm. 
And it was that Stephen minister who would sit with me through tears, through anger, um, all of the things that actually characterize grief. And she sat with me through those those hours over a cup of coffee and said, no, God is not through. God is not finished with you yet. But it was a long journey. And during that time, I worked a full-time job, a part-time job, just trying to hold my family together. And I believe it was really during those years that we'll, we'll go back and revisit this, but it was really during that time that things became very difficult for Sarah and where her life sort of began to unwind at that point. What about forgiveness? As you have journeyed through, it's you're an, you're an ordained pastor. You do counseling. You do pastoral care here at Ridgewood. You talk to a lot of people that are going through the same stuff. Mm-hmm. A shocking amount of people that go through this. It's true. How have you gone about forgiving him? in order to free yourself from the burden of carrying around bitterness and so forth? I think one of the things that I learned over time is that forgiveness doesn't come in one in one decision. It's not a one-decision thing. Um, first, I actually had to ask God to make me willing to forgive and to pray that he would make me willing to let go of that hurt and that pain. And the other thing that I came to realize is that forgiveness was ultimately for me and for my healing. Um, It took him off the hook of my trying to um, get revenge or be resentful and to allow God to deal with him in the way that God would choose to deal with him. Now, quite honestly, this has been 32 years. I have not seen a whole lot that has changed in, in his life, but I can see him. I can speak to him. And we can be civil with one another, and I know that I no longer carry around that weight. And so I think that forgiveness, while it is a process, is absolutely essential for people to be healed mentally and spiritually, um, emotionally. Um, Forgiveness is an essential element of that. But forgiveness is not the same as just saying, you know what, it didn't happen. No. I'm going to move on. It's a long process. When I tell people about my journey of forgiveness to the man that uh, shot our son, uh, that is a long, long process. And you end up making a decision at some point where it's like you're at a crossroads and it's either going to be, I'm going to work toward forgiveness and follow Christ, or I'm going to get bitter and put aside all the things I know about following Christ. It's true. Because I don't think you can have it both ways. No, you can't. And and what you realize is that the unforgiveness eats away at your soul. And it, it, it tears at your relationship with Christ rather than building it up and um, in walking in a sense of freedom. That unforgiveness hurts you more than it hurts the other person. And so it, it does become a decision. It is a decision, but I don't think it's just a one-time thing. Okay, I'm going to just let that go. And you're right. We, um, we live with memories. The memories fade over time, and they are less painful. Um, but we do live with, we live with that. No doubt that there are women listening right now that are dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Single parents that have, are separated or... 
uh, men that are trying to raise their kids, what would you say to them, give them hope that you found through that process? It isn't the end. The end of a relationship is not the end of your life. It is not the end of God's plan for you. And in fact, God will take that brokenness. If you allow him, he will take that brokenness. He will take that hurt. He will use it to to bless you, to grow you, and he will use you to be a blessing to so many other people if you will allow him to do that work in you. Because that's the hope you need to keep going, and that is truth. And the enemy is always trying to steal that truth. Mm-hmm. That's right. And trying to drive us into a place where we feel like we're no longer usable, mm-hmm. when in fact we're probably more usable than ever before. That's right. I think it does. It uniquely prepares prepares us for ministry to other people who are hurting in a variety of ways because your empathy grows and you you kind of move I had to move from a place of judgment um, I grew up in a family where no one had ever been divorced I was a little bit judgmental about people who had gone through a divorce like what is wrong with them how come they couldn't make it work and you realize through your own pain that life is not that simple it is not that black and white and um, and God's plan for you remains good. And so to hold on to hope and to realize that your your value, your self-esteem is not just rooted in that relationship. You need to find your self-esteem and your value in your relationship with Christ and who he says you are. How would you counsel the average churchgoer regarding how to lean into the life of someone who's going through a divorce or has been divorced? Uh, Be a good listener. Be slow to speak. Um, Probably don't offer any advice unless you are asked for that. Um, Be willing to um, put an arm around a shoulder if that's that's welcome. We can't do that in today right now but um, a virtual a virtual a virtual hug is always good Uh, I have a friend who every single day um, right now sends me exactly that a virtual hug a little a little text message saying I'm thinking about you I'm praying for you today Um, and I think those kinds of things that just stay in touch sit with a woman who is alone in church I found it very difficult to go to worship with my two girls without my husband there. Um, I felt very awkward, and so be willing to sit with her, take her out for a cup of coffee, maybe invite her and her family or him and his children uh, to go out for a bite to eat after church, but just try to make them feel comfortable and know that they're cared for. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment but we want to remind you that you are listening to Life Support, a co-production of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota, and Five Stone Media. Here is Five Stone Media Executive Director and Co-Founder, Steve Johnson. During this COVID-19 era, church leaders and mental health professionals are experiencing an unprecedented need for practical, biblically sound mental health resources. We recognize that God began positioning us 18 months ago to step into Christian mental health resource production. And we would love to have you be a partner with us in that journey. You can log on to fivestonemedia.com slash donate. And now, here again is Pastor Paul. 
Unfortunately, many who are divorced flee churches because they feel that kind of judgment or that yes. awkwardness, and they really need to be in church more than ever before. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's essential. And I grew up in a time where there were far fewer uh, people going through divorce. I think the statistics now show that even 50% or more of a Christian couples end up going through a divorce, which is a, a terribly sad commentary on the state of our marriages. But it is a reality, and we have a lot of hurting children as a result of that. So anything that people can do to make the person going through a relationship uh, breakup know that they are cared about without giving much advice and without um, don't throw a Bible verse at them. Uh, you know, don't be simplistic, but be caring. Yeah, that's great advice. Our guest is Susie Thompson. She's an ordained pastor, and she is my colleague at Ridgewood Church. She does counseling, oversees pastoral care, and just generally helps people a lot. And you mentioned, Susie, the children, and this would be a good chance now to transition into Sarah's story. And Sarah's story is a tough story that you've had to live through, but it's also a place where I think that you've grown a lot and you've learned a lot, and a lot of what you bring now to the table is because of those experiences but you mentioned that during your divorce, that's mm -hmm. when Sarah began to struggle. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. It's true. Um, I think the sense of rejection, feeling rejected um, by her dad, her daddy, someone who was supposed to love her more than anybody else in the world, uh, having daddy leave and having daddy move in with another woman who also had two girls about the same age as our girls, that sense of being rejected, being abandoned, um, marked her life and her relationships going forward, really from the time she was about 14 years old. She was 12 when when my husband, uh, my first husband, left us. And um, by the time she was about 14, we began to see the acting out, um, skipping school, starting to smoke, um, sneaking in and out of the house, and um, just the beginning of a pattern of behavior that was very unhealthy. So one thing we can take from that before we move on is if you see a change in behavior of one of your children like that, don't just say, ah, oh, they're just teenagers. No. Something's going on, right? Right. Uh, there is the they're just teenagers behavior, which all parents pretty much experience. But if you see something that's more troubling than what you think is just normal acting out, um, she was also very much an introvert. And so it was hard to pull out her feelings, to get her to talk about her feelings. But I think this is where it is really important for you as a parent um, to begin to investigate, do we need to have some professional help here? Do we need to address this in ways that you, frankly, in that moment are not capable of caring for? So how did you see that behavior then begin to escalate, Sarah? Um, it... Um, I know we'll talk about the fact that I remarried at a certain point, but um, I, um, I, by the time she was 15, the behaviors were really obvious. She would 
go out with friends and come home and obviously be inebriated, be just drunk. Um, she would sneak out her bedroom window at night and sit on the sit on the roof and smoke cigarettes. And so we began to see this progression. And then there were boys, and then there were more boys. And um, my girls were involved in a very serious car crash when Sarah was 16 and uh, my daughter Lisa was 18. They were in a very serious car crash. Sarah was driving. Sarah did not have a license. And we received a call from the hospital in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, um, that Sarah was actually unresponsive at that point. Uh, to make a long story short, we raced over to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. My brother drove us there. And um, in the course of being told about her condition, she suffered a serious brain injury. And at in the course of being told about her condition, the doctor said sort of offhandedly, and did you know that Sarah is pregnant? Hmm. We did not know that. Mm-hmm. And Sarah went on to, um, after a long recovery, both girls in the hospital and physical therapy, Sarah went on to deliver a baby girl uh, six months later. Well, wow, a lot of things changed really quickly. Now, when you say we, were you remarried by this point? I was remarried by that point. And um, uh, the Lord brought into my life a man who, um, he makes me smile. He's totally different from my first husband. Um, He is very practical. He is very no-nonsense. And he is exactly what we needed. And uh, so he and I married uh, two years after my divorce from my first husband, and he has taken on, um, not just me, but taken on two girls who were both teenagers at that time and been an amazing husband and an amazing father to them in so many ways. And being a blended family is hard. It is hard, but we were blessed. We've really been very blessed. He has three children. Uh, He has two girls and a son. I have two girls. And when we were married, they were all between the ages of 14, 14 or 15, and 21. And they have blended together really well, and um, and we really have a, a great relationship. So we've been very blessed in that area. Yeah, he's a good guy, and he has a lot of uh, incredible foundation to him. He's very grounded. It's true. And he's very, very wise. And so God brought him into your life at the perfect time. God seems to do that. He does. He he does. He seems to bring to us what we need in, in that particular time. And um, I think about the way that my husband has been such a, a rock for our family. And he really got more than he bargained for when he married <laughs> me, um, taking on two girls. Now, my, my older daughter, um, she's always um, she's always been um, on track, shall we say. Never had a lot of issues with her, never had any issues with his, his three children. Um, but Sarah presented a lot of challenges. In a lot of ways, she was the most challenging and also the most lovable in a lot of ways. Well, I want to pursue her life and what happened next when we get together next time. Okay. Because that's a, it's a hard part of the story, but there's also a lot of hope in that story. Mm-hmm. 
And I want to talk a little bit next time about the church that she found and the amazing ministry that that church does in the area of recovery. Susan Thompson has been our guest. She is uh, an amazing woman. She's an ordained minister, and she works here at Ridgewood. And we're going to talk to her next time, too, and find out more about her most recent loss and trauma. You know, suffering is very, very real, Mm. and trauma hurts. But we can be encouraged that God never leaves our side in the midst of it. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 12:22, For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. So you can take hope and joy in the fact that God never abandons his children and he will never abandon you. And there may be times, as Susie described, that you may feel abandoned. You may feel as if you're alone And you may feel as if God is nowhere to be found, but the Bible paints a picture of a God who's faithful, a God who will always be with you, and I want to encourage you with that today. Here at Life Support, we tell stories. We want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ through suffering and trauma. We want to thank you for allowing us to spend some time with you. Life Support is made possible by our wonderful partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media, and Ridgewood Church. For more information, you can hop on the websites of those different organizations, myfaithradio.com. You might know that as KTIS here in the Twin Cities metro area. You can go to Ridgewood Church, myrwc.org slash life support. We also have a care page there that you can find to give you some resources to help you and fivestonemedia.com. I'd also love if you'd join me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. Next time, we're going to talk more about Susie's story. She's gone through a major loss and major trauma. I think you'll find hope in it, and you'll see how God works through trauma. So thanks again, and we'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, Subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.